I was having a conversation with the Lord just right before I came up being, I, I have that moment where I feel just God's goodness and presence. And I said this a couple of months ago at a previous sermon. I just, I want to jump to the end. Um, I want to jump to the invitation. This is, this is where I'm heading. Take, take what you saw just happen here. Reflect on your own life. In humility, ask, Lord, where, where am I with you? What do I need from you? How, how do I take this step forward? And you're going to be invited to, to take that next step, that next step of faith, putting your trust in Jesus. Well, church, are you ready for Christmas? Have you got all of your gifts ready? I, I'm going to have a moment of confession here for a second. Uh, I'm not even close to ready. I don't have a single gift purchased except for gifts I've bought myself. Yes, I do that. I go shopping for others, and I'm like, oh, I like that. I like that too. Um, but here's the thing. I enjoy the last-minute shopping. Some of you might think to yourself, that is ridiculous. Pastor Trent, that's crazy. I enjoy it. One of the reasons I enjoy it is there's a lot smaller selection available. So the choices that are available are reduced, right? So it's a little easier for me to find something because I, I have less options. Also, there's this panicked energy that's in the mall. And some of you might be like, that is the worst energy ever. But for me, I'm like, oh, we're all in this together. We're a team. I look at the, the wide eyes of other people and I'm like, you get it. You, me, we can do this together. Um, admittedly, um, I will admit um, that um, it's not the most peaceful experience, but it is a little bit of fun. And I know that for a lot of us, the Christmas season is a mix of all sorts of different kinds of emotions, and rarely is it a peaceful time. Obligations, expectations, negotiations with family and friends, trying to figure out how to do this, COVID, social distancing, all of this is hard. Um, people look at their bank accounts and wonder, should I buy the gift? What do I do next? What's January going to look when the bill comes due? These are all hard things. And between the good and fun, we have this pressure to have it be warm and soft and cozy and comforting. And yet we have these memories that are both fond, but then also bring us deep grief and sadness. This might be your first Christmas without a loved one. This might be your second Christmas without that dear friend or that, that dear loved one. And that makes it hard. It makes it complicated. Um, it's supposed to be merry and bright, but often it, it's weary with a little bit of strife, right? It's just how it goes. And so the peace, where is it in all of this? We live in a world that is longing for peace, don't we? We have peace treaties. We have um, these charismatic uh, personalities that are saying to all of us, hey, you know what? I'm going to deliver this. I'm, I promise peace. And we have this tragedy. It's always, you see it. You know, even a couple of months ago at the election, you, you hear people promising these things. They overpromise and then they underdeliver. And the world doesn't just long for it. They try to create it. We try to force it. And the problem with creating peace, forcing 
peace. You put those two words together, something doesn't feel quite right. There is this irony that the more we fight for peace, a lot of times the word peace just drops off and it just ends up being fighting. The world just kind of enters into that. We live in a world that wonders if, if peace is ever actually even possible if it could ever even exist. And many of us, in our dark and difficult moments, in our dark seasons of our lives, we wonder the same thing. Like, is peace available? Is it possible? For the past uh, month, for the past season of Advent, we've been going through uh, a sermon series called The Name. Now, The Name takes a look and we dig into like the character and the nature of Jesus through the lens of the Old Testament prophetic words of Isaiah. Isaiah 9, 6. And that we as followers of Jesus, we, we understand that when we look through the lens of the New Testament of Jesus, we see this passage with a different kind of beauty and a different kind of power. For to us, a child is born, To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And that is where we find ourselves today. We are going to explore the Prince of Peace. While Rome was subjugating their people, putting them under toil and oppression, and calling it peace, calling it the Pax Romana, where it's like there's no violence and conflict because they have such a heavy hand. While this was taking place, God was quietly entering the mess of it all to bring us something else, to bring us a different kind of peace. And the gift that is offered to us today in the person of Jesus, can address the longings, the gaps, the conflict, and the chaos. I'd just like to pray quickly for the rest of our time together. Heavenly Father, I just ask that as we enter into exploring your text, your scripture, your story, as we contemplate what it means for you, Jesus, to be the Prince of Peace, that you, Holy Spirit, would stir in our hearts And call out to us a response for us to take. A step for us to move in. Lord, I submit myself to you. I surrender myself to you. I ask that you take what I'm about to share. Transform it into exactly what we all need to hear. Lord, we love you. We are so thankful. In Jesus' name, amen. Christmas songs, they are lovely, and it's so good that it lasts about a month. That's just me personally. There's Because we only have so many, and then they play them over and over and over again. Um, and some of them we love, right? And some of them, if we're honest, we detest. Some are clever, some are cute, some get us thinking, What does this even have to do with Christmas other than the fact that we hear jingle bells jingling in the background of the beat? Other than that, is it even a Christmas song? And then we have some lyrics of classic songs that I've often wondered, really? Is that that really how it went down? Um, You know, we have this need for Christmas to look and feel a certain way. 
We need it to be cozy. We need it to be somehow less complicated. And yet, we know that it's complicated. It was a scary moment. It was hard. It was dirty. It was a night that for a soon-to-be mom and her husband was probably not a silent night. You know, you think of those lyrics, silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, you know, round yon virgin, you know, she's mother and child, how, how lovely, how beautiful, you know, so tender and mild, sleep in heavenly peace, right? Moms, can I ask you um, a question? <laughs> you don't have to answer this out loud, but if someone were to write a song about the birth of your first child. What kind of words, what kind of tone, what kind of, how would that song play itself out? Um, I wonder. Um, I think most of us have a sense and a knowledge that we have songs like this, or like, the cattle are lowing, right? The babe awakes, little Lord Jesus, no, no crying. Uh, No crying he makes. Right? We, we have this desire to, to sanitize, to soften it, to take the edge out of the season, to take the desperation that was in the people of God and make it, make it what it is today, commercialize it. And in preparing for this message, I just continued to feel convicted and challenged and impressed on my heart that the Lord kept saying to, to me, personally first, but then for all of us, You've made it too small. You've made me too small in this story. You've made my peace too small. I am so much more. I am so much more. I am Ser Shalom, the Lord of wholeness. I am the one who establishes real and lasting peace for individuals, families, communities, nations. What I have done quietly in the corner of a backwater nation echoes for eternity. There is this constant tension for all of me, all of me, yeah, all of me and a lot of us uh, to, to reduce Jesus down, to keep him on the sidelines. It is in our human instinct to want to minimize Jesus and to build ourselves up. It's the agenda of the enemy, and we know this, to convince you and I and our neighbors that Jesus was just a guy and it was no big deal and it's not something for us to pay attention to, that this story isn't worth our attention. And you can see this especially during the Christmas season, you know, where we've reduced Jesus to, you know, the cute eight-pound, six-ounce, cuddly story where we package his birth right beside Rudolph and reindeers and Santa and other hallmark paraphernalia. And when we keep him there, it stays safe for us and we feel like we can manage him, we can handle it. It it allows us to think that we are in control. And yet we have this ache, this longing that doesn't get answered, doesn't get resolved when we make Jesus too small. Pastor Brian, this illustration is for you, all right? Yeah, are you listening? So, there's a man named Tom Brady. (laughs) 
you know, I almost had to look him up. Just kidding. I didn't quite have to do that. But there's a man named Tom Brady, right? He is this fantastic quarterback that seems to be able to be the architect of perfection on the football field. Wherever he goes, he's able to coordinate and create wins. And he is good at it. And he's been doing it for years and years. But there's, a, there's another character. There's another person that when they've done all they can and they can't get the touchdown, which is always the goal, they bring this guy in. When they, when they can't get past the, you know, their 10 yards, they bring in that other guy. So there's a guy, his name is Ryan Suckup. And he kicks the ball when they can no longer throw it or run it or get the, the strong points. So they bring him in. You know, I had no clue who he was until I looked this up. For your sake, primarily, Pastor Brian. Um, but in this, you know, when the team can't get the touchdown, right, they bring in the kicker. Or when they can't get past their 10-yard line, you know, they bring in the punter. Um, we have this game where they spend most of their time hoping they don't have to kick the ball, and they call it football. I love it. it <laughs> but I do love the sport. I played it and quite enjoyed it. But there's always been a little bit of humor for me and for the rest of the world, actually. They're like, you call that football? Like, what, what about... Anyways, we all know. We all know. And for those of you that are not from North America, you're like, yeah, we know what football actually is. But anyways, I digress. Um, we have this picture of of a sport, of a game where a man is like uh, accomplishing, oh, I just, well, it'll keep going. It will be fine. Um, my, my mic just kind of fell down a little bit, but I can still hear that I'm in your ears. So here we go. We'll continue on. Um, we have this temptation to not have Jesus be the quarterback, but just be the guy we bring in when everything else isn't working out well. We have the desire for us to be Christians, but we wait for as long as possible before we bring Christ into our day. And that is the challenge that we have. And the conviction that was on my heart while we were, I was thinking about today's talk is we have made him too small. We have made the Prince of Peace too safe, too calm. Um, so let's take a look at the Prince of Peace. What are we even talking about when we hear the name Prince of Peace? And how can this name of Jesus speak to us today? So first of all, we want to take a look at the biblical, a quick biblical understanding of the word peace. What, how does this, this definition matter to us? And then second, how does this connect with Jesus being the Prince of this kind of peace? Now, the word peace is common right? Politicians have peace talks. We hear about peace treaties being signed. We have a picture of ceasefires or an end to war. Uh, oh, that nation's now at peace. And we have this kind of peace, which is the absence of conflict, right? And it is large, a large part of the biblical meaning of peace. But the word shalom is so much more than the absence of conflict. It's so much more. It's the presence of something better. Um, there's these two words. Um, the words uh, ser, and I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, but that's okay. 
as shalom. And sar means the one who is in charge, the Lord, the chief, the general. So we have this picture. And in English, we translate that word into prince. And then we have shalom, which can mean rest, tranquility, wholeness, completeness. And when you look at the entire use of the word shalom throughout the Bible, it is best defined as a state of wholeness or to be complete. What's interesting is this word is not just used in relationships and with people. It can often, it was actually referred to with objects. You could take a cup, for example, a cup that doesn't have a crack in it or a chip taken out of it, and you would say that that cup is in shalom or in a state of shalom. It's complete, it's whole. Or you have a scroll where there's no missing pages and you don't have all of the words written. The scroll is shalom. Things are in a state of shalom. And then we can continue on. Um, there's, I, I do want to say one thing. There is a, a, a ministry called the Bible Project. They are fantastic. They, they condense concepts and ideas into really good bite-sized uh, thoughtful videos. And if you're watching online, feel free to just hit pause right now. I know this is risky because you might never come back. Hit pause and go uh, to bibleproject.com. Fantastic. Um, their whole objective is trying to help us understand that the unified story of the Bible is all pointing towards Jesus. Um, anyways, they created this fantastic five-minute Advent video that explains the nature of peace. And they say this in the video. Shalom refers to something that's complex with lots of pieces that's in a state of completeness and wholeness. It's like Job who says his tents are in a state of shalom because he counted his flock and no animals were missing. How cool is that? So in Job 5, 24, there's this beautiful little picture. And it says um, that they, we, we translate it often as secure. Uh, the tent is secure. But the word is actually, the tent is shalom. Um, and then, it's also about well-being. So we have people like David. David visits his brothers on the battlefield and he asks them, about their shalom. Are they well? He's not just asking about their heart and their mind. He's like, do you still have your limbs? Are you whole? Are you okay? What is your well-being? And so this shalom applies to that as well as to relationships. We see in the book of Proverbs that it often speaks that to reconcile and to heal brokenness uh, is all about shalom. Say your dog. Work with me on this one. Your dog leaves your yard and goes to the other yard and like tears up like your neighbor's like plants and flower beds and like makes a big old mess and they're like devastated about it. Shalom is about making that right. It's paying for the damages, helping to replant the flowers, making sure everything is okay. It isn't just saying sorry. Uh, this is the grand big picture of what it means for us to be in a state of shalom. The kings of Israel were always called to make shalom so that there would be conflict with another nation. And that nation, if things worked out, it wasn't just like, okay, you're over here, I'm over here. It's like, how can we actually work together? How can we make things better for both nations? That is shalom. 
And I think it's a beautiful picture. And it's this kind of peace that Israel was always called and his, their kings were always asked to embody this, to have that kind of flourishing. And well, it rarely happened. And that brings us to the passage in Isaiah that we've been preaching on for the past several weeks. That Isaiah, he looks forward and he sees a king. He sees the kind of king that is a lord of shalom. And that this prince's reign would bring restoration and wholeness with no end. A time when God would make covenant of shalom. Would make a covenant of shalom with his people and make right all the wrongs that have been broken. That's the God of shalom. That's the Lord of shalom. That's the picture that we are invited to this Advent season. We've made God's peace a little bit too small. And then this covenant, when we get to the New Testament and we see Jesus, Jesus enters the mess of the world. And then we hear the angels sing, right? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to who, those whom his favor rests. Now, biblically, that wasn't the word shalom. We're in Greek now. Erene? Um, Erene? Erene. There, that's, for those watching online, I just heard from a biblical professor how to say this correctly. Erene. Um, um, this connects, though. It's the same kind of picture that the Jewish community understood when they said peace. They were talking about this kind of peace. Jesus enters this world and carries with it, with him, a deep step towards restoration and wholeness. The New Testament sees Jesus as the promise of peace being fulfilled. Jesus is near, this is a cool one, he's near the end of his ministry. He goes to his disciples and he breathes on them and he says like, my peace is with you. Like, my peace I give you. My peace I give you. It's beautiful. Have you ever given a gift to someone that you didn't own? Like you didn't own the gift and then you gave it away? Any hands? Don't put your hands up. That's called stealing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So there's an exchange that happens with a gift. You first have to have it and then you willfully give it away. Um, if your mom makes you give a gift, is it a gift? Anyways, I'll leave that for another time. But that transaction, you first have it. If you didn't own it, then you, didn't, you can't really have the right to give it. And we see in Jesus a man who possessed peace, who inhabited, who embodied wholeness. He was the perfect man without sin, without error, and he had shalom. He taught shalom. He showed it. He demonstrated it. He had it, and he gives it away. He gives it to us as a gift. Um, a few months back, we had that picture of Jesus sleeping on the cushion while there, there was the storm. I always love that picture because we have a Jesus that is, it reminds us that in the storm of life, in the confusion of what's going on, his countenance, his world was at peace. He understood what was going on. So his whole life demonstrated peace, a way of shalom. And he calls us to be a people who make shalom. 
He says to us, blessed are the peacemakers. So Jesus' ministry demonstrates the work, right? He demonstrates the work of shalom, but more than showing us how to walk in peace. That's important, I will agree. Jesus made peace between us, messed up humans and God. That's the thing that I want us to listen to and hear today. As the Lord of peace, as the Prince of peace, he, can, he shows us a path, but first and foremost, he is the path. Jesus' peace isn't principles on how to live a tranquil life, though scripture, Christian tradition, has strategies, practices, spiritual techniques and exercises to address the chaotic heart, to help us be tranquil, to help us be at a state of ease. And that's valuable and important. But all of man's best techniques, all of our best ideas, all of our best psychology and research and traditions, we could have all of that and we still would not have the shalom that is the longing in our hearts that we need, that we crave for, that we were created for. We only find that shalom through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Jesus offers us his peace. He is the one and only person who has built the bridge between God and creation. Humanity was lost, walking in darkness, but they've seen a great light. And on those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Um, when I was a kid, I used to shake my head at cheesy Christian bumper stickers. Um, and I, I suppose I still do. I remember this one bumper sticker, and it said, No peace, no, or no Jesus, no peace. No Jesus, no peace. And I remember reading that being like, oh, come on. But apart from it being on a bumper sticker, this is true. This is what we as Christians uh, stand firmly on. This is, how, this is what our elders died for. This is what we are, this is who we are, is understanding that without Jesus, we will never know peace with God. We'll never be able to foster true and lasting peace with our neighbors, and we'll never have peace inside. That Jesus' peace, we can take on his peace, and it transforms us. So, while I don't love the bumper sticker idea, it is completely true. And we are called to consider, where is Jesus in our lives? Have we made him too small? And I know it's Christmas time, but we can't uh, stay at Christmas forever. We are instantly launched into the entire life and ministry of Jesus. We get to his death and his resurrection. The apostles teach that when he died and rose from the dead, he restored broken relationship between humans and God. He brought wholeness and completeness. He became the Lord of Shalom. And the peace that Jesus offers isn't just an end to conflict, as we talked about earlier, but it's a restoration and it's wholeness. And in some miraculous, wondrous way, he offers us his very life. He offers us his very life so that we can know his peace, so that we can be restored to God. And this gift, this gift of who he is, 
I invite us all to humbly accept it. In this life, we will have times of anxiety, stress, and worry. Of course, it happens. And there's lots of great techniques and ways for us to manage our anxiety and manage stress and worries. And I would encourage us to seek those out. But today, I do feel compelled to put aside the self-help options just for a moment and for us to recognize that the only true way for us, for you, to have peace in your life is to say yes to Jesus, is for you to step out of that place of being the quarterback of your life and let him direct the show, let him coordinate, let him create, let him lead you today. Um, In Ephesians 2, Paul paints this beautiful picture. Um, And it's this picture of how Jesus himself is our peace. He doesn't just teach it to us. And it says this, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law With its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, uh, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. So there's some of us far away, some of us who are near, He's preaching peace to all of us. And for him, we have access to the Father by one spirit. It's good. Um, Earlier, we heard the passage from Isaiah 53. Um, As the world forces peace, as it fights for it, as conflict grows in areas, Jesus' response, what did Jesus do in that Well, we have this passage of Isaiah 53, right? Where uh, he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of the dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering And familiar with pain, like one uh, from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. How did Jesus, this prince of peace, fight for our peace? He was pierced. He was crushed. He was killed. Jesus will never make you take his peace. He will never force wholeness on you. Like this person, he was quiet. He just takes it a different way, and invites us. Remember those songs early on that I quoted? Uh, Let's circle back to those for just a moment. Uh, Those songs, if we 
I kind of want to think of them in a slightly different way. Um, maybe for the rest of time, we can, at least for myself, when I sing these songs, I'll have a slightly different perspective of silent night, holy night. All is calm, all is bright. Round yon virgin, mother and child. Holy infant, so tender and mild. This was the mild king. And on his death, on that day, he was silent and chose to not speak. In the song where it says, the cattle are lowing and the babe awakes, the little Lord Jesus, no crying he makes. He did not, when offered the opportunity to defend himself, he did not cry out, this isn't fair. When people hurled insults at him and mocked him and ridiculed him, in silence, he didn't cry out for anything. He just took it. When he was on the cross, he didn't speak against people. He didn't cause a scene. He didn't make anyone pay attention. He just took the sin and weight of the world so that we might be free. This glorious, magnificent, full of power God that is quiet and choosing to take a different approach is inviting us today to say yes to him again. His supernatural peace is not something for us to just flippantly think we can get from anywhere. God's peace is not small. It came with a cost. It was great. It was big. And it's worth us fighting for. It's worth us pursuing in our own lives. It's worth us investing in for others, making right the wrongs that have been done in our lives and from our community. Making right with our friends, our neighbors, and the world. And so I invite you to put Jesus into that quarterback position to let him truly direct your lives. If you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord, if you've never accepted him as your Savior, I would encourage you today to make that decision, to make that choice, to say, Jesus, come into my life. I choose you. I've tried to make peace in my world, and I have no peace. And maybe it's because I don't know you. And for many of us who have been walking with the Lord, I invite you to think again, to review your life and to humbly make the decision to put Jesus in that place. He's not demanding it. He's not making you do it, but he's inviting you because he cares. If, we've been, if there's chaos in your life or if you have chaos with someone else or there's conflict, ask Jesus today to be Lord over your life and to be the Prince of Peace. I'm just going to close in a word of prayer. And I would just invite you to um, pray along with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, your peace is big and good and great. And you, Jesus, are the Lord of Shalom. You're inviting us not just, not just to be peacemakers by not being in conflict, but you're inviting us to invest in righting wrongs, to invest in wholeness, to invest in healing and in restoration. 
But Lord, before any of that, you invite us to accept you, to take your peace, a gift that only you can give. And so, Lord, I just ask that those of us here that have never accepted that gift, that we would accept that for the first time right now. And Lord, for many of us, that we would once again renew our commitment and our faith to you, that we would say, yes, Jesus, be my, my king, be my Lord, be my prince of peace. You are my wonderful counselor. You are the mighty God. You are my everlasting father. Holy Spirit, I just ask that you would lead us to restore relationships that have gone wrong. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would lead us to have conversations with others, that you would lead us to be transparent and vulnerable so that we might be healed. Heavenly Father, we just ask for your presence to go with us from this place. In Jesus' name. My dear friends, uh, go in the peace of of our Lord and enjoy your day.